Thank you, Pastor Tim. It is amazing being here with you guys. Uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's incredible. We really have met like over 10 years. And in those 10 years, it's the first time he invites me to speak. <laughs> so that tells you a lot about, about your pastor. So it's an honor for me. It's a privilege finally being here, getting to know a lot of you. I know a lot of you already from Nicaragua. From, uh, we feel like at home here. And we heard a lot about this church, even if it's the first time that we come. We, yeah, it's, I, th I, th I think we will need a little reconciliation prayer at the end. Um, I have translated for your pastor several times in Nicaragua. And you guys, how many of you know that Tim is an amazing guy? We, we love him very much. And we went in our trip. We, we are traveling with all my family. And we, the first stop was in California, in Vallejo, California. And they loved him also a lot. They are a great people there too. Our uh, journey in California was really interesting. I, I want to introduce my wife, Anna. Please come forward. Natalia and Santiago, come to this. Is, we are missing our little uh, youngest daughter, she is with the children ministry. So I want Anna just to say hi. Santiago is the cool guy. He's in charge of security. Natalia, it's our chef. Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to be here. Santiago was a little upset that he couldn't see the drum player. He was trying to come up to see him. But it's it's nice to be here. I will never forget the the team where Tim came on. And when Paolo met him, he came home and I said, how's the team? Because we work with so many teams and there's some weird people that come on teams. <laughs> and so he came home and said, <laughs> he said, you know, the team's all right. There's some, yeah, some, they're okay. But there's two guys that I really like. So, and Tim was one of those. So from that moment, he, we picked him as a, a, as a good one. So um, it's fun to see our relationship grow. Then when he met me, one of the first things he told me was, you will not believe the wife I got. She, I don't know how I managed to convince her to marry me. So that, yeah, it was good. It was good when a man talks very highly about his wife. So yeah, it's good to be here and to see so many um, smiling faces. We enjoyed worship so much. If you don't know how blessed you are by this worship team, you have got to visit a lot of churches because <laughs> not everybody has a worship team like you guys, and it's such a blessing. And these are our kids. Yeah, so I was saying Natalia is nine years old. Uh, she is the happiest little girl in the whole wide world because we've been doing this two more, two months trip into the United States, so she is missing two months of school. So she has been really excited about it. Santiago, uh, he is having a lot of fun too, so thank you. And also, you heard Brooklyn is here from Lakeland, Florida. And not yet, Brooklyn. I will give you a chance later on to come and say hi to everybody. And also, Johnny is here, and she is, I, I don't know, she's planning to move to Nicaragua one of these days. She, she is from Lakeland too. She, she, she was an intern. She spent two months in Nicaragua during summer, and we really feel honor of all the connections and everything that God is doing in the ministry in Nicaragua, also here in Lakeland, in the way. And I was saying, we are doing this two months kind of tour, and we have a map, actually, 
So you can see a little bit. We started in California, in, in Vallejo, actually. And over there, we had a lot of fun. And you know, the kids, we went and we got to see a lot of different places. It was the first time that my kids saw sea lions. So that was the best part of the whole trip. We went to the piers. And there's one pier where all the sea lions, like, they took over the whole place. And they were just, uh, the, you know... Sea lion being sea lions, doing sea lion things. But when I saw them there, I look at those animals. And like, you know, that, that's my kind of people. I like them. <laughs> I wanted to take off my shirt and just go and lay down with them, like taking the sun bath. And of course, my wife is right now like, cut it. It's, yeah, that kind of jokes are not funny, apparently. Uh, they're trying to turn me into a vegan there. It didn't, a vegan didn't work out really good. Um, they, from there, we went to Missouri. After Missouri, we started driving. We drove from Missouri to Ohio. We spent a couple of days in Ohio in meetings. Then we went to Indiana, drove back to Ohio. Then we went to Pennsylvania. From Pennsylvania, we drove to New York. In New York, we started driving south because it was way too cold for us. So we stopped by uh, Maryland and Delaware, South Carolina, and we finally made it to Florida. And this is where we start feeling a little bit of warm weather and getting ready to go back to Nicaragua in a couple of weeks. So I'm going to share a little bit about well, what this trip is it's, it's about. But first, I hope you have your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, you I, I, I probably you have it in your cell phone or whatever you have it. We're going to read in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. And we're going to read verses 35 through 38. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38 is in the screen if you want to read it with me. And the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of disease and all manner of sickness. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were distressed and scattered as sheep not having a shepherd. Then said in he unto his disciples, The harvest indeed is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he send forth laborers into his harvest. I love that passage. And we are going to, I, I want to talk a little bit about being the church. And this is something that you need to ask yourself. Who are you as a church? Who is the way as a church? And as a church, we need to be uh, a courageous church. We need to be a compassionate church. But we also have to be a committed church. Those three C's. That's what we, I'm going to share with you this morning. We have to be a courageous church. We have to be a compassionate church. And we have to be a committed church. So in this passage, the first thing that Jesus said is the Bible says that Jesus went to all the cities and villages preaching the gospel, preaching the good news. That where Jesus went was to the places where he was needing the most. Sometimes we feel called to go only to places where we feel comfortable. Sometimes we, we, we feel called to go to those places where we feel good, where there's a good air conditioning running and a great worship band. And, and that's where we feel called to. But sometimes Jesus moves us to go somewhere else. Jesus went to the cities and the villages. In Nicaragua, the ministry, we are planting churches in the mountains of the country. We are planting churches in the cities, but also in the villages. In places deep in the mountains where a lot of people don't want to go. 
Actually, we, we have a couple churches where you have to drive several hours and then park your car and then start hiking slash climbing and walking up the mountain just to make it to the top of the mountain and you get there and there's a little church there. No community, no houses around it. And you, and you, and you ask yourself, okay, where's the people? The people come. A lot of them ride horses and walk for hours just to come and worship God. And once I was taking a, a, a team to one of those churches. And I am very, I, I, my memory is not the best memory. But I'm very sure that team was from Florida. Because as soon as they start climbing, they, they start like, in Florida we don't have heels. Uh, everything is flat. And probably that's true. I mean, I've been in Florida a while, and, and I know you guys don't have fields. So we start going up, and then one of the guys turned over, Pastor Pablo, why did you choose a place like this to plant a church? Well, let me tell you, I didn't choose a place like that to plant a church. A lot of those church plants happens using a, a trendy word, organically. It was very organic, the grow of the ministry. A lot of times what happens is, is churches and church leaders, they go to visit family. They go to visit uh, different communities. And when they are there, they start sharing the gospel with the people. And they start inviting people. Hey, I'm going to be here for a couple weeks. Let's have church. And they go around, invite the neighbors, and they start having church. And they go back to their, to their house church, and they tell them, Hey, pastor, there is a group over there after two weeks we were meeting like 15, 20 people, and there is not a church around. There is a need of a church over there. And the church starts sending leaders and start going. And that's how a lot of the church plans has happened in Nicaragua. That's to be courageous. Step out of your comfort zone and go wherever the Lord is leading you to go. And do whatever the Lord is leading you to do. And speak what the Lord is calling you to speak. That's what it's, it is about to be courageous. Be a courageous church. That person asked me, why you plant churches in places like this? It's not my choice. If you ask me, Paulo, where we should plant a church, I will tell you, let's go to the cities. Let's find a nice coffee shop and plant a church next to the coffee shop. So after church, we can just go to the coffee shop and enjoy a good cup of coffee. That's what I would like to do. But that's maybe not the place where the gospel is needed. And if you open your eyes, you will see the world around us, it's broken. It's upside down. Once you, start, once you walk out from this place and you walk out into your missions field, you walk out into the, into the world around us, and you go into people's life, into people's homes, there's a lot of brokenness there. A lot of marriages being messed up. A lot of kids really needing Jesus. All around us, that's our mission field. A lot of times we hear about missions and we think that we need to go overseas. And we, need, we, we think about missions, we think that we need to dress up as Indiana Jones and wear our hat and be ready to go. And we forget that here is our mission field. Because we don't belong to here. We don't belong to here. We are pilgrims in this earth. We are in this journey. And that's why we need the church here. Jesus went to the cities and the villages, preaching 
the good news of the kingdom. Do you know what the people need the most? Just those good news of the kingdom. Hey, Jesus came and died for you. Jesus came and he is, he is here and he is able to give you hope, to give you life. He is able to restore your life. You don't have to live your life in brokenness. You don't have to live like your life that way. There is Jesus and he wants to turn your life around. Good news of the, of the kingdom. A lot of times we go and preach everything else but the kingdom. We preach our denominations, we preach our churches, we preach our pastors, we preach everything else but the kingdom. All what we need is to point at Jesus. It's just point at Jesus, point at Jesus, point at Jesus. Jesus went to all the cities and the villages, healing, all disease. He, you know, Jesus went and whatever they were struggling with, all the sickness, all the disease, that's what the Bible says. Bring them all the, all, all the sick ones. And he's going to pray and he's going to heal them. But we need to be courageous. We need to be brave enough even to pray over the sick. But we have a pastor for that. I mean, if somebody's sick, call the pastors, call the leaders. No, that's you. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that the pastors, the leaders, all of them are here to equip the saints, to equip you to do the work. And the same spirit that it dwells in them dwells inside of you. But you need to be courageous enough to pray. Once and in, in, in the church in Matagalpa, people call me, hey, pastor, there is somebody sick here. You need to come and pray. Like, no, wait a minute. You are the one who saw the need. You go and pray. Hey, pastor, there is, some, there is a neighbor here that he looks like he, he has a demon. You, you need to come and pray for him. You, you go and pray for him. And people in the church learn. Now they don't call me. <laughs> they call my mother-in-law. She loves to pray over everybody all the time. But I keep encouraging them. You go and pray. I know sometimes this is scary. I was listening once one one preacher from Alabama, and he was saying that he was in some sort of uh, of workshop about prayer and everything, and he was having a great time. And the speaker said, "You know what? You need to start praying each other." And the speaker said, "Just turn into the person next to you and ask him what you what you can pray for." And he says that everybody start asking the persons next to them. And the person, you, you hear the answers. Hey, I, need, I have a headache. Can you pray over my headache? Hey, I have a, a little bit of pain in my back. I have a little pain in my knee. He says, okay, I'm ready for this. He turns into his neighbor. What can I pray for you? And the neighbor says, hey, uh, my leg is two inches short. The right is two inches shorter than the left. I want you to pray for that. You're like, uh, no, I pray for headaches and... <laughs> back pains and stuff like that. I don't pray for... A lot of times that happens to us. We, 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 we think that we can pray only for little stuff. But you know what? It's God. He's the one who's going to do the miracle. He is, he is, his power is, at the end, is the glory goes to Him alone. So you, all what you need to do is just, you know what? I'm going to pray. And the Lord is going to heal you. The Lord is going to touch you. And it's going to Him doing the work in your life. But we need to be those courageous people to go and pray. Something I love about the mission trip that, that you guys did um, in July in Nicaragua. A lot of you guys were there. You were praying everybody. 
Nobody left the building without being prayed for. I love that. And I'm going to get weird here a little bit, Pastor Tim. <laughs> Do we act like that only in Nicaragua? What about here? What about here? Why, why, is, why, why when we are in the missions field, it's so easy? Why when we are overseas, when we are in Nicaragua, we are in India, we are in the Dominican Republic, why when we are in those places, it's so easy for us to be all filled up and go and pray and believe and testify and preach? But as soon as we get back here, we're like, no, no more prayer, no more preaching, no more need for testifying. You know what? It's time to start being courageous. Let's be the same, whatever we are. Doesn't matter if we're in India, Nicaragua, in Lakeland, in California, wherever we are, let's be a courageous church. That's what this world is needing. This world needs a compassionate church. Jesus, he knew he could heal them, he could do whatever he wanted with those multitudes. But when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion in his heart. And what moved him in compassion was not the needs they have. was not that they were poor. was not that they, they had lack of money. was not the car they were driving. You know what moved him to compassion? That they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were moving around, but they didn't recognize that they actually had a shepherd. And I imagine Jesus at that point wanting to start yelling at them, Hey! Hey, you don't have to be lost like that. You don't have to be hopeless like that. You don't have to be broken like that. Look at me. I am the good shepherd. Look at me. I am the good shepherd. You don't have to be scattered. You don't have to be downcast. You don't have to be lost that way. And that's when you see the multitudes outside. Just remember, they are like sheep without a shepherd. A lot of times we take it personal. And we see and we hear people talking bad about the church, talking bad about Christianity, talking bad about God. They need Jesus. It's a spiritual warfare. It's a spiritual problem. What they need is Jesus. When somebody starts uh, attacking the church and bashing Jesus and attacking God, just pray for them, Lord. They need you. That's what they need the most. We need to be a compassionate church, but we need to be a committed church. And when you are committed, you become a giving church. You become generous. Everybody has something to give. You can give your time. You can give your talents. You can give your money. You can give your own life. But let's be a committed and a giving church. Let me tell you about the ministry in Nicaragua. To tell you the story of the ministry, we need to go back to the 70s. Back to the 70s. How many of you love the 70s? Yeah, yeah, some of you. I wasn't born back then, but I heard it was good. <laughs> it was good days. In the 70s, uh, my wife's family... They were living in Nicaragua, in the mountains, deep in the mountains. There was not a Christian church around. I mean, they needed to go. The, only, the, the closest church, it was like four hours away riding a horse. 
It was, they were living in a valley where there was no church in the valley in the middle of nowhere. And my wife's family, her grandma and grandfather, they owned the general store in the community. Yeah, it was like all the good wild, uh, wild west. So they had the general store. That's where everybody in the valley would go and do all the shopping, everything. That was the center of the community. And when they were there, one day in the afternoon, a couple of Americans show up. 18, 19-year-old boys. They walk up to the store and they ask Anna's grandmother at that point, hey, can we spend the night? We don't have a place where, where, where to spend the night. And she knew that there wasn't a place close by where they could spend the night. So she says, of course, you can spend the night. There is a room in the back where you guys can stay. And they stay there for two years. <laughs> God bless them. Yeah, some, you know, sometimes we, you have that kind of guests. Uh, they stayed for two years. It happened they were missionaries. They were not just going past. They were not just passing by. They were sharing Jesus. And they stay in that community. And those missionaries, they start to teaching the kids how to read and write. And they built the first school in the valley. And they built the first health clinic in the valley. And they start teaching the people how to do gardening in the backyards. Because even if we have a great weather, great climate, and we have great soil, nobody garden in the back in Nicaragua in their, in their backyard. So they were teaching all that. And while they were doing all that, they were sharing Jesus. They were sharing Jesus. They were sharing Jesus. Anna's family, my wife's family, became Christians. All of them became Christians, including my father-in-law. And they start living their life with a kingdom mentality. We need to do something. We are here on this earth for something else. They built the first church in the valley, right there in their farm. Then the missionaries, they were kicked out of the country because war came into our nation. A civil war, it wasn't nice. It wasn't a good thing. And, and the government, in turn, they thought that all Americans were CIA agents. So they kicked these missionaries out of the country. All the missionaries needed to leave Nicaragua. They gave them a 24-hour notice. I was, we were, in this trip, we, were, we had the, the blessing of stopping by and saying hi to all of them that they were in Nicaragua in those days, planting those seeds in those mountains, in those valleys. And one of them who was in charge of the whole program was sharing. It was so scary for them to receive just a message delivered by intelligence officers from the government telling them, all of you Americans have 24 hours to leave this country. And he said, but we have people in the mountains yet. And says, it's not my problem. And he said that he needed to run and start calling them. All of them, they didn't have even time to say bye to the families they were working with. They rushed to the capital and they jumped into the plane and they came back to the States. And for them, one of the things that they said is, we just went. We did the work we were supposed to do. But we didn't know what happened afterwards. And it was 20 years, let me see, in 2003, it was like 30 years later that they went back to Nicaragua for a missions conference because all, all, a lot of those young guys, now uh, we, in, with time, they became missionaries, they became pastors. They, they, one of them was the, was the director of the world missions of their ministry. 
And they went back to Nicaragua for a missions conference and they started wondering, hey, I wonder what happened to that family in the valley. I wonder what happened to all the people that we work back in the 70s. And they, they got the phone book and they started looking for them and they recognized some names and they called them and they went back to Nicaragua. And it was Anna's family. It was my father-in-law there. And when they went back and they start asking, okay, what has happened with you? Now my father-in-law says, well, let me tell you about the ministry. You know how the ministry started in Nicaragua with our ministry? I was a pastor in Managua. Pastor Tim spoke once in that church in Managua. I was pastoring in Managua. And my father-in-law, he went back, he moved to, out of Nicaragua back in the 80s because of the war. Then he moved back when his father passed away and took over the coffee farm. And once when I, we, I was pastoring in Managua, he called me. Hey, Pablo, in the coffee farm, we have this little chapel. It's a really small chapel. But it was built to serve as a church. I mean, always, doesn't matter where you are, you always build a place to worship God. And they had that place to worship the Lord in the coffee farm. But he told me, there's no pastor here. Nobody is doing anything to reach out into the community. And there's like 50 families living in the farm. And I know them all. And all of them, they need Jesus. They need Jesus. All these people that work for me, they need Jesus. So he, he told me, let's do something. I am going to hire three pastors here in the valley that I know forever. I'm going to hire them into the coffee plantation. And the coffee plantation is going to pay them a full-time salary. But their job is going to be to plant the church. And I want you from Managua to be the overseer of the church. When I heard that, it was like, ooh, that sounds really good. I'm struggling to plant a church in Managua. And now we have this other church plant in the mountains with seasoned pastors that I don't need to go and do a lot of training or anything. And it's going to just sounds good. It says, yes, let's do it. And church started to grow. But still, it was a little mountain church and three pastors. So you know how it is, three heads in a little church. So two of them took off and planted two more churches in the mountains. Then the fourth church came. Then we moved to Matagalpa with my wife, and the Matagalpa church is church number five. And that was 10 years ago when we planted that church in Matagalpa. Since then, we, we moved forward. 10 years later, here we are. Has been 33 churches planted in the mountains. 33. And five more are being ready to be launched as we speak. And you know what? It's not because I am special. I'm not the best speaker. I'm not the most intelligent person. I have nothing special. But we serve a big God. And when you lay your hands in His hands, He is able to do amazing things. Why am I telling you that? Because if He did that with me, with my life, he can do it with your life as well. But be courageous. Be compassionate. Be committed. In my case, my race, that's how it looks like. But maybe your race looks different. Your race is not about selling everything and moving overseas and starting. Not necessarily. Could be being faithful to God here where you are. Getting more involved in church. Start serving God. Start sharing with others. For some of you, it would mean just to start smiling to your neighbors. 
and reaching out to them. My neighbors needs Jesus. Maybe your neighbors needs Jesus too. Just be faithful. I want Brooklyn to come forward. You have 30 seconds to share. <laughs> because this is a story. How in the world a girl from Lakeland sells everything and moves down to Nicaragua? Okay. Well, first, I just want to say how weird this is, seeing so many of you guys from, it's like a blast from the past. I feel like I'm just at home again. So it's really fun to see you guys. And um, for those that don't know, I have known a lot of your people in your church for, I don't even know, from like birth. Um, <laughs> and your pastor, I don't, I, I don't know, like before Trey straightened him out, I knew him. I mean, he was my youth pastor, and it's a miracle I'm still saved. Um, so, but I, um, I grew up here in Lakeland. Um, I am coming under the, the platform of, like many of you, um, raised in the church and really from the same home that a lot of you guys came from. And I um, got involved with Nicaragua just on a, I, my church decided to go on a mission trip. It was the first um, trip that Tim was on as well, which I need to clarify. Anna said two people were her favorite. Tim, and I'm assuming my dad, so I guess I don't count in that trip. I'm a little offended. <laughs> truth. Truth hurts. Um, but I just went on a trip to Nicaragua, and <laughs> and I thought that was it. We, I, I fell in love with the country, and I thought, well, okay, I'll go back each year. I'll take my church. I'll, I'll do my part, and for a while, that that was that was my race. That was I was getting more people to come down to Nicaragua for a, for a week at a time and love on the people. And I felt the Lord stirring in my heart to do more. So I I decided to start financially supporting. I at that time was working, and I thought, okay, that's that's the next part of it. Um, and then God just kept stirring in my heart um, this just love and this passion for the people of Nicaragua. And so in 2015, I finally gave in after God had been pushing me for so many years and, like Paolo said, sold my stuff, moved down there um, with no plan of just I'll be here until God, you know, says go somewhere else or until they kick me out. Um, so I've been there two years and um, just considered a privilege um, that the Lord lets me love on these people and that he lets me share his good news and he just allows me to to speak on his behalf, and for me, it's just an honor and a privilege to get to do it. Thank you, Brooklyn. I've been sharing wherever we go that uh, Brooklyn was like Jonah, uh, so I, I was forgetting that part. The Lord called her to Nicaragua, but it took her years for her to actually go to Nicaragua. She ran from that calling for years she even went to 14 countries to make sure nicaragua was the right one <laughs> and i know i i, I thought that i was exa 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 exaggerating saying 14 countries because i always thought it was 12 countries but then we start counting and actually it was 14 countries <laughs> that's what we do a lot of times we run from his calling we run from the place of His calling as well. Sometimes we want it to be somewhere else. Sometimes we want it to be in a different place or doing something different. But we need to be obedient and courageous and be whatever the Lord has us. 
you know, we were, I was sharing about the ministry a little bit. And I want to share a little bit of wh why we are here in the States. We have, as I told you, there are 33 churches, and we are doing all the pastoral and leadership training. And we are dreaming with a place where we can gather, a place where we can uh, meet with all the pastors, all the, all the leadership, um, and do the training for the next generation of church planters, leaders, missionaries, be the headquarters of the ministry as well. You know, it has been amazing. This last year, God has been opening doors. And I've been meeting a lot of people, and a lot of people has been asking me, like, why me? I, asking me for missionaries. Like, I don't have missionaries yet. They've been asking. There's a project in Thailand, and they've been taking missionaries from all over the world. And they found out that for some reason, Nicaraguans go into Thailand and they merge into the culture and are effective sharing the good news in the culture. They try people from all over Latin America and from other countries. And Nicaraguans are doing amazing things. And he, they were asking me, please send us a couple of Nicaraguans. We need more missionaries in Thailand. And then another guy was like, we need missionaries in Kenya and Ethiopia. We said, well, wait a minute, not yet. So we are dreaming with a place where we want to raise that generation. Not only to go and, church, and keep doing church planting in Nicaragua, but to go and do what the Lord has called them to do overseas as well. Because you know what? It's our turn now. Through the whole, the whole 20th century, United States has been sending missionaries to all over the world. Now it's our turn. Now it's our turn to go. You guys can, can watch us. You can join us as well. We all go together, but it's our time to go. Just look at me. I could go in Morocco or Algeria, any of those places. As long as I don't open my mouth, they will think I am from there. <laughs> the Lord has prepared us. And over there in the back, there's these little papers with a little bit of the project. I just want you to pray about it. And you're going to have also a unique opportunity to partner with us through a, a special offering. Everything that you give in the offering, 100% of it goes toward the project. We are buying the facilities where we are, the land where we are, and we are building the place there where we are going to train all the leaders. So you have that unique opportunity. So at the end, you can grab one of these and, and uh, just read about it. And also we have some coffee there. The coffee... It's uh, to help us in all the expenses of the trip. We've been traveling a lot. So when you, get, when you buy, and it's a real pound of coffee, good Nicaraguan coffee. We just roasted a, a couple weeks ago ourselves and pack it and everything. So uh, it's one full pound. It's $15 per pound. When you buy the coffee, you help us to cover our trip expenses. So I want you, I want you to make it clear. Everything that you give will 100% go to the, to the uh, project. We are not going to take the tithes of it. We are not going to get a percentage of it. Everything goes toward the project. But when you get coffee, you help us in our trip expenses. Uh, so you will have those opportunities there. I just want to finish telling you a little bit about coffee. How many of you like coffee? You are my kind of people too. We need you to keep drinking coffee. Once I, I'm sure that I read somewhere that without coffee it's impossible to please God. 
I don't know where I read that, but you can quote Paulo 3.16 there. Uh, in this passage, Jesus tells his disciples, A, the harvest indeed is plenteous. Coffee? And we have a picture of, of a coffee plantation there. That's my father-in-law. He's the visionary of the ministry. He's one of the stars of a ministry. What you can see there is the coffee plants. And if you see the little green beans, that's the coffee beans. The coffee is not a very tall plant. When you walk around the plantation, you see those little uh, trees or bushes. You see them loaded with a lot of those green beans. And when you're walking, when you're walking around, and that's a big plantation. It's like um, 850 acres. The farm, not all of it is coffee, okay? It's only like 450 are coffee. But you walk <laughs> around the plantation and you see the plants. Not yet, not yet. Let's go back, let's go back. You see the plants like that and you see everything. It's loaded with coffee. My father-in-law, he's the farmer. He says, this is going to be a big harvest. It's going to be a large harvest. And he starts, his heart starts uh, going faster you can hear his heartbeat is gonna be a huge harvest and you know the problem with coffee is there's only one harvest a year it's not like some other crops that you go and you plant a little bit through the year or or, or a tree of apples and you go and plant some coffee it's one harvest you make it or break it there's no way so he starts going like that when but then some of the beans, and let's, let's stay in that picture. Some of those beans starts turning red. But you walk around the plantation, and there's just a few red beans here and there and there and there. That, those beans, when they turn red, they are ready to be picked. So when he sees that the harvest is starting to come, and some of the beans are starting to get red, he goes and he hires the best pickers he can find. Everything in coffee, when you are harvesting high-quality coffee, you don't use a machine. You have to go by hand because it's at the plant where you start the sorting out of the quality of the coffee. Everything has to be. So he needs the skilled hands of those good pickers to go into the plant. And they go and they start picking only the reds. And at that point of the harvest, he hires only the best pickers. Only the best. Because you, there's a big plantation and you need to move fast. And you just pick the red ones and move on. And you go like that. A good picker can pick up to 20 buckets of coffee a day. When I was a teenager, and I, how many of you worked when you were a teenager? We were in high school. I worked and I, I went to pick coffee. I went to pick coffee as, as, as a work. And I went and you know how much I picked? I picked two buckets. That's when I realized that was not my calling. It's definitely not picking coffee. I'm not good. He hires those good pickers. And they go around, and that's how he starts the plantation. But then another time, he walks around. And let's see the other picture. And you see the coffee, all of it turns red. Jesus said at one time to his disciples, Hey, look, the fields are white already. If he was walking in a coffee plantation, the fields are red now. They are ready to be picked. Now imagine the whole farm turning red at the same time. The whole farm turning red at the same time. 
my father-in-law, he starts sweating. That time he starts, he tells me, we need pickers. We need pickers. We need pickers. We need pickers. I don't care if you are a good picker or a bad picker. I don't care if you pick 20, 15, 10, 8, 5, 2, or only one bucket. We need all of the pickers we can get because one bucket that you pick is one bucket that is going to be saved. If you don't pick it at the moment, that coffee is going to fall off the tree. It's going to hit the ground and it's going to get lost. We need all the harvesters possible to come and help us to raise this harvest. In the top of the season, he hires 300 pickers. And he says, I don't care if you, have, if, if, if you only have one eye. I don't care if you have short hair, long hair. I don't care if you can walk or you don't walk at all. I don't care at all. If you are willing to come and pick coffee, there's a place for you to pick coffee. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, the harvest is plenteous. Don't pray for the harvest. That's what we do a lot of times. We pray for souls. We pray for the harvest. The harvest is ready. But we need our workers. But we need our laborers. And we need the good ones. Because sometimes you see the good ones. You see like Pastor Tim and you see some others. Wow, those are 20 buckets a day pickers. They're amazing. But the harvest is so plenteous that there is room for you and for me. There is room for one bucket pickers. There is room for three, four bucket pickers. There is room for you in this harvest that is ready around us. Don't compare yourself to the good harvesters around you. You are you. Do your part. Be courageous. Be compassionate. Be committed. Let's say, Lord, here I am. I know the harvest is huge. I'm ready. Don't ask God. God, do you have something? No, He has something for you. Just ask Him, Lord, where you want me? I'm ready. And when the Lord speaks, be brave enough to do it. Because sometimes, Pastor Tim will come and tell you, hey, we need volunteers in the nursery. <laughs> Not nursery, no. <laughs> youth, oh, youth wars, no, no. <laughs> to work the parking lot, oh, no, me in the parking lot, never. To turn on the lights, oh, no, somebody can do that. Doesn't matter what. Big, there's no small job in the kingdom. Everything is needed. Even if you don't believe me, I played soccer. <laughs> 20 years ago and 150 pounds ago. <laughs> and I was not bad. But I trained hard every week. Trained hard, 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 hard. You know why I trained so hard? Because I wasn't the best. But I, need, I wanted the coach to know that he can count on me. I was disciplined. I was there for him. And whenever he needed me, I was going to be there. And you know what? I trained so hard that even those who were better than me, when it was game day and the coach was giving the lineup, usually I was in the lineup. 
Usually, that made my day. And I trained hard. I wanted to be there. If you play sports, how many of you play any kind of sports? You know, you train because you want to play. You want to play. You want to be there. You want to be in the lineup. You don't, you don't, you don't train and you, you, you don't play just to wear the uniform. In Matagalpa, we have a, a basketball team, the Matagalpa Bulls. It's a very origi or original name, the Matagalpa Bulls. And there's one guy in the team. His name is Brian. Everybody knows about Brian in the Matagalpa Bulls. He has been in the team like for five seasons. He has never played one minute. He gets to wear the uniform. He warms up with them and then sits down in the bench every single game, every season. Everybody knows him because of that. In our Christian life, that's how we want to be a lot of times. We want to be just sitting in the bench, wearing the uniform. But we hope never make it to the lineup. When as soon as they are needing workers and laborers and volunteers, <laughs> I don't want to play. <laughs> and he says, hey, we need, we need people to serve here. Like, don't make eye contact. Oh, I didn't notice that we have a ceiling. <laughs> we don't have a ceiling in the church in Matagalpa yet, that's why. <laughs> this is your time too. This is our time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning. Because you, we know that you have a plan for us. We know that you called us with a purpose. And I'm sorry... Because I know that I have neglected my calling. I have neglected my service to you many, many times. But this morning, I want to tell you, God, here I am. Here's my life. What, all who I am, my voice, my hands, my feet, everything belongs to you. Just take me whatever you want to take me. Just appoint me the direction where you want me to go, and I will go. I want to take advantage of every day that I have in my life. And I want to give you the glory. And I want to give it all to you, oh God. Jesus, I pray for each one of us. Just guide our path. Take us by the hand and teach us your ways. And help us to raise the race that is ahead of us. And Lord, I pray for this church. Bless this church. Use them. Use their leadership and their pastors. Use them to be a fortress in all this region that your gospel be preached. Señor, y en esta mañana yo te pido que seas tu Espíritu Santo guiando nuestros pasos. Que tú nos ayudes. Que tu mano poderosa esté sobre nosotros. Que nos hables y nos guíes. Quita toda tibieza de nuestros corazones. Quita toda, todo conformismo. Llénanos de tu presencia, de tu fuego. Que podamos caminar contigo. Darte nuestras vidas y disfrutar de ti. Lord, thank you for everything. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, the way. God bless you. And... As you can tell, 
English is not my first language. So I'm sorry if I butchered your language. It wasn't on purpose, I promise. <laughs> I tried to speak it as best I, I, as I could. Uh, but you got to enjoy a little bit of a nice and charming Hispanic accent. So <laughs> God bless you all. Pablo, you did not butcher our language. Don't worry. It's okay. I love you, my friend. Listen, um, so I want to give you guys, uh, we're going to, two things coming up here. One, I want to give you an update, and uh, I'll tell you what's happening, and then we're going to, man, we're, okay, cool, here we go. We're going to do this thing in our church that we, I think, have done like three times in the history of our church, and you may have seen it somewhere else, but we don't really know how to do it, and it's called an, an offering. It's really, it's really weird. <laughs> I don't know how to do it. Uh, but before I do that, I want to give you guys a history really quick. Um, tithes are important for the house. And we don't talk a lot about money if you're new here, um, but it's important to us. Tithes is what keeps the lights on, and it's what helps pay our staff that are all bivocational. All these guys that work here are working somewhere else just like you. Um, but there's a lot that goes into making this all happen on Sundays. There's a lot of, anyways... The last few months, we have had a hard time making budget every month. And uh, when that happens in most churches, what pastors do is they go, hey, uh, thanks for taking the offering. Hey, how much came in the offering? Let's take another offering here. And so what they do, and I don't put that on you guys because it's not necessary. Uh, but we've had a hard time making budget the last few months. But last month uh, was a good month. We made budget again. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I get all excited when Brady texts me, and I'm like, I'm at T-Mobile, I come on, and they're like, what's wrong with you? None. No, I just, uh, uh, anyway, so thank you guys for giving. Um, in years past, we, I remember when we built our first orphanage, we, there was four months in a row where we didn't make budget, and I was like, man, this is really crazy, and then God gave me the idea, we need to build an orphanage, and I remember saying to Joseph, hey, we need to raise $30,000, and he, Joseph at the time, who went to plant a church in Pennsylvania, looked at me like I was crazy, because he was like, there's no way we can do that, we're not even making our own budget, but when we made that decision, um, all of a sudden, we made budget, and then we came up with money to build an orphanage, and it was so rad. Um, and so I need you to know, your tithes are for here, but I need you to help me with something. It's important that we understand that we want to build something that's eternal. You have to get this mindset that when you give, uh, you can, you know, when American Idol does an offering and you give to help, little, that's whatever. But when you're giving to the kingdom, you're giving to something that is changing people's eternal destiny. There is something to be said about that. Today, my prayer is that we take an offering today that is at least $10,000. And I think that that is crazy because that would be the biggest offering that our church has ever done in the history of our church. And so, um, but we're going to do it. You can give on push pay today. You can put your money in the back of the boxes in the back. Um, you can give through the app. Uh, but if you're going to give on the app, I need you to memo Pablo. Pablo Escobar. And then just put Pablo in. I just like saying those two words back to back. I, um, but uh, title Pablo if you're going to give online. But if you're going to give today, um, listen, they need to make an egregious amount of money to create this center that would be a church for his community and a hub for all of these other pastors to come together and pray. And um, I don't know about you, but if I had 33 churches, I would want to make sure that we had a place that was awesome that all these pastors can gather and gain vision. 
I don't normally ask you to open your pocketbooks. Please know that in this situation, I give my tithes to the church, and I am opening up my checkbook because I want to be a part of doing something that's changing people's lives forever. And we don't normally ask you guys to do these things, but when we know we have an opportunity to make a difference, those are the places we want to give money to. So today I'm going to ask you, I'm going to have the guys come, and we're going to pass these bowls around. It's really crazy how they do And then they just put money in it. And, uh, and so I'm going to have the Father come in Jesus' name, um, help give money to Pablo, and I pray that you would bless um, everyone here. I pray that you would bless their mind, help them see your provision above and beyond um, in their life, that they would recognize that you are with them and that you're blessing them for their generosity. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, would you come? The last thing I'm going to have to do here is I think that this is important. We are um, going over on time, uh, but I think that this is necessary. My wife, who's in the kids' church, is going to hate me for this, but here we go. Pablo was talking about the laborers in the harvest and that the laborers are few. Today, I believe that there is a few people here right now that have a call of God on their life that they're currently not meeting the expectation of. Let me say it another way. There's someone here, there's many people here that know that God wants to do something great in their life and you don't know what it is. If that's you, as we dismiss today, even if you have kids, I want to welcome you down and I'm going to ask Pablo and Brooklyn and Anna, who Anna loves to be in the front of house and dealing with it. She, this is like her favorite thing in the world. She, she's like, give me the kids ministry and let me... Um, but I think there's a grace of God that's on you today. Um, we're not going to do anything abnormal, but just pray that God uses you to reach people. Listen, what, what could be greater at the end of our life than to know, to look back, than we say that I made an eternal difference in this person's life? There was a story that I'm going to end with this story. This is the story. I heard it with Pablo sitting at a restaurant one day about 12 years ago. And uh, this talks about this story about this guy standing on the beach and there's millions of starfish that got washed up on this, on this ocean. And um, all these starfish got washed up and this man was grabbing these starfish and throwing them as hard as he could. And kind of just dizzy and drunk-like, throwing them as far as he could in the ocean. And uh, all these people saw this guy like, just going crazy. Like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, we've got to save these starfish. The guy's like, do you really... Look at all these starfish. Do you really think that you're going to make a difference? When I heard this story, I realized, man, this is so, 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 so true. And he said, no, I won't reach all of these starfish. But it would sure make a big difference to this one right here, won't it? He was right. When you leave here today, you may not be called to Nicaragua, but you are called to influence people's lives. And I believe that that starts tomorrow. I think your missions field is your job or your kids or Walmart, and it's, it's where people are lost. And I believe God's calling you to do something great. I do want to say that I forgot to say, we are going in July to Nicaragua. It's going to cost $1,300. We're going to need some builders, some, and then just a whole bunch of people that are smiling and love people as we go door to door and meet people and stand in their houses and cook for people. And it's a different kind of mission trip when you're with this guy. It's cool. $1,300, July. See Melissa and JB. Melissa, will you stand up? Melissa, will you please stand up? I'm just kidding. <laughs> joke, joke. If, you're, if you're here, 
um, and you know there's a call of God on your life. At the end of this service, I'm going to have you come down. All of you guys can buy coffee from us over the next couple weeks. We're going to buy a whole bunch of it for you guys, and you can buy it off us if you don't have money today. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I believe there's a few people here, and you're calling them. I don't know what, I don't know where, I don't know how, but I know that God wants to do something in my life greater than what I'm doing right now. When this service is over, I'm going to have you come. And these guys are going to say a prayer with you. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this worship. Thank you for this memory of knowing that we're building something that's going to last eternal. And that is an honor to be a part of. It's so great to know that we wear your name the greatest name in all of heaven and all of earth. We love you, Lord. You're the hope of the nations. I love you, Jesus. Would you sing this with me?